Welcome back to Below Average Gaming, where we wish that real life was a roguelike. That way we could all just go kill ourselves and start the last two years over again. I'm here with Michael, and once again, I am Josh. And here we're going to talk about roguelike games, rogue games, how nobody knows what the terminology for these games actually is. And they all just think everything's a roguelike, no matter what it is. And, you know, unlike my parents' marriage, maybe we'll get a good start over again at the terminology. So how are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. I mean, isn't every game just a roguelite when you think about it? If you play it the right way, yeah. You know? Yeah. Just every single time you die, delete your save file. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So what you're telling me is before Ragnarok comes out, give me God of War permadeath. Let's go. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll bet Ragnarok buying for both people based on who lasts longer. There we go. Hell yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so I think this is a bad idea, but I am so in. Oh, I'm in. So, yeah, so today we're going to talk about roguelike, roguelite, rogue, all these rogue games. So, I'm going to have you start this off, though. Define roguelike and roguelite for the people out there that are a little confused on what they actually mean, because Google doesn't help. I mean, technically, the definition of them just like depends and people aren't really in agreement on it. No. <laughs> so I, I mean, my, my interpretation of it has always been is that a rogue like doesn't have any progression between runs other than you being better or you knowing more about something. Yeah. Whereas a rogue light is something that has progression between runs where you actively get stronger or the game changes as you do more. Yeah. And that's definitely something that's just muddied. I don't think anybody besides like the hardcore people into the genre really care that much about this anymore. It's just no, they're all the they're all the same genre, and who gives a shit? Yeah. So the purpose for our discussion, <laughs> I think, like, hey, we're just gonna talk about rogue games, games where you do runs, you go through, you play until you die, and then you go back in. It's basically what we're gonna be talking about things that have like a progression system to them. Some of these don't. It's just kind of like a general discussion of these games because it's something we both really like. We've played a ton of them. It's a pretty big genre right now. They're also really cheap in case you want to get something kind of on a budget and they last a long time. Play a lot of these for hundreds yeah. of hours. I do think that as far as if you're going to go for like a value proposition when you're buying a game, you're never going to get better than a roguelite unless mm -hmm. you're like unless you're one of the few people who will get more use out of like a sim game. Like the only game for the person I am that I might get more value out of is something like Stardew Valley. Yeah. But for the most part, roguelites are going to be your best bang for your buck. Isn't Stardew Valley just a roguelike with more steps? No, because there's no like failure mechanic. Really? You can't fail in that game? How unrealistic. Not really. I want a farm that can fail. I think that'd be great. A farming simulator game where eventually your ground is just crap if you screw it up and you can't progress anymore. You screwed up your soil, get wrecked. I mean, I guess I've technically played Stardew Valley more like a roguelite because I just replay the first year over and over again because I find it to be the most entertaining part. Yeah, I, I, I've noticed. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning of what we we kind of see as some of like the big... The big rogue games that, uh, me mostly like in the like what like like early twenty tens is when these three came yeah, out. Yeah, the early the early twenty tens is kind of where I think this genre started to take off, mm. and 
why don't you get us started? Which one, which game was your first mm -hmm. game in this genre? So, so my first game in this genre was Rogue Legacy, which is just a game where you're like, you're just like a knight kind of character. You walk into a castle. It's a 2D platformer, you know, hack and slash style game, almost kind of like something like Castlevania is in that kind of era. But the difference is, is that when you die, you get kicked back out of the castle and you get to go back in, but you go back in as one of your ancestors. And how the game works is that all these ancestors have positive and negative traits. Like sometimes you're colorblind. Sometimes your controls are inverted. Uh, there's ones that have like no health, but deal like a ton of damage. So you kind of have like these trade-offs of things you can do in the game. And you can also affect the castle and your character's health over time by collecting gold on each run. It's a really, really good, good game. I still like, highly recommend it. It's also on like uh, PS Vita if you have one of those like me um because i have no life but the nice thing about the game though is it's it's challenging like it's actually really hard if you want to try to get all the achievements in the game you actually have to beat the game with dying 15 times or less and not using the big mechanic in the game which is lockdown so it's procedurally generated the castle but there's an architect that actually locks the castle down and it won't change its layout mm -hmm. so you can actually learn the layout and keep going in but if you want to actually deplete everything in the game and do completionist, you can't use that mechanic, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a big, it was a big one for me. I think I have all, I think the only thing I actually haven't done in that game is that. Like I've actually done everything else. I probably played the game around 200 hours. Like I really, really, really like Rogue Legacy and it's a good intro too. What about for you? What is, what's your first taste? Yeah. I, I never touched Rogue Legacy, but I played a ton of Binding of Isaac. Mm. And Binding of Isaac, I've played it a little bit over 200 hours. Mm -hmm. I came very close to Platinum God, which for people who don't know is is doing 100% everything. Yeah. So that's unlocking every item, mm -hmm. completing every challenge, all that kind of stuff. And the game is just, it's really interesting. Isaac... It's a game where you start off and you have to get items that can up your damage or your speed and have all their unique effects. And you have to go through and fight a whole bunch of bosses. And the way that the game's progression primarily works is at the start of the game, it's six floors. And then after you beat the sixth floor boss the first time, your next run can go down to eight. And after you beat the eighth floor boss one time, you can go down to the ninth floor and then after you've done that, there starts becoming extra bosses that you can encounter. So if you meet certain uh, requirements or if you do certain things, you can encounter additional bosses. And so it becomes very interesting when you get later into the game and you're trying to basically force specific fights, if that makes sense. So you're trying to take your boss fight and you're trying to make sure that you get to a Mega Satan run. And while you can luck into these runs actually like doing their progression the proper way is very difficult and actually takes a lot of time. And it is quite hard to get to that point because you have to tailor the run very specifically. So that's kind of interesting where it incentivizes you to play runs differently, to experience things different. But I found a big reason why I've fallen off of this game and why I think a couple of the later games we'll talk about are a little bit better is this game because of the nature of it, has situations where it feels like it's impossible to lose. 
Yeah, like, depending on what you pick up in Isaac, there are some items that feel pretty broken. I think that's something that they fixed in later Rogue games is that you you can get good items. They're not, like, inherently, like, free wins. Uh, obviously, like, things like, like Risk of Rain and Hades are kind of like that, where it's like you don't just get free wins. With Isaac, there's definitely a few that feel a little bit over-tuned. And it's, like, fun, but, you know, a little broken. <laughs> Yeah, it leads to the issue where because a lot in a lot of cases, the items aren't gated by like where in the run you can acquire them. You can acquire the same runs on the first floor as on the fourth in a lot of cases. Sometimes you floor one, get a mom's knife and the entire run is just a joke. And sometimes you go four floors without any meaningful upgrade and you have to like play really tight and things just take forever to die. And that like. Well, it does generate some interest. I'd rather just have most runs be in a middle ground. Yeah. And two, like... Like, the, the game's really good. I think we owe a lot to that game for the genre to be where it is now with a lot of the better games we have. But it definitely has its flaws like that. Um, I, I really like the aesthetic of the game. I think Isaac does a really good job having a very cool atmosphere, a cool theme to it. It's really dark. Actually, like if you sit there and really assess what's going on, it's kind of really messed up. <laughs> you know, no, I really like that game. And even too, like the card game they made out of it does a good job of capturing a very similar feeling, but also still has that problem where there's a couple combos that are really broken, which like actually just emulates the game really well. I really love the card game. We both own it. I, I'm a huge fan of that. I think it's one of the better deck builder kind of games that gives you a similar feeling to rogue games on you know consoles and pc i don't know i haven't i don't know i haven't played the card game in a year i don't know if i can remember what it's like you know ow my insights <laughs> but so so another one of the games is kind of just like a, lo a lot like isaac is um enter the gungeon so then we've both played a bit, but just kind of feels like, why would I play that game when I can play Isaac when they're that similar? And I think Isaac presents itself better. And I actually don't like, like, Gungeon's aesthetic isn't, like, my favorite thing because it's one of those things that feels, it has, quote, good-looking pixel art, but I don't like that style where it's overly simplified, if that makes sense. Where mm -hmm. it looks too much like an SNES game. It's like you could have these games that are really nice pixel art that look a little bit more modern, though. And that game just looks really old and it handles like a little old to me. Like it doesn't it's not as smooth as Isaac feels. Yeah. And I played a lot of Isaac because it was the game that I knew. And when I like when I came across Gungeon, I was already kind of weaning myself off of it a little bit. I think if I wanted to play one of these games nowadays, I'd probably go back and play Gungeon just for the change of pace, mm. just because I've played so much Isaac. But with the new offerings, the newer roguelites, I don't find myself going back to play these ones. Yeah, I mean, this, th it's one of those things where like the genre has moved forward and it's really obvious that it's moved forward. If that makes sense. It's just like, there's just better game design. Like there's some really good old games that like, I will never go back to, but I still appreciate them at the time. Like quite a bit. Yeah. So on the next thing. Yeah. And I find, I find the roguelite genre really interesting mm -hmm. because 
Well, you kind of have your traditional roguelites, which are very much Isaac, Gungeon, Rogue Legacy. Those are all very traditional, as well as some of like the more newer ones. But then there's also quite a few different variations of mm-hmm. the genre, where there's something specific that's been changed, or very different gameplay, or games that just do something completely unique that you don't really see anywhere else. And the most prominent of those has been the deck-building roguelites, which have had a massive upsurgence, and there's been so many Lay the Spire clones that you, like, can't really count them anymore. Yeah, and Slay the Spire, to me, is still, like, the number one deck-building rogue card game. I just think it, it executes everything very, very well. It's not overly complicated, but has so much depth to it if you want to be like a master at it. It's a very good introduction game. Like my my eight year old has beat a run of Slay the Spire, which has a lot to it. It's a really simple like design. But when you get into Ascension levels, like you actually need to do a lot of planning ahead of time. There's a lot of math involved. There's a lot of deck building constraints. You really need to pay attention to what relics you're getting. It's really it's a really good game. It feels like a lot like a traditional card game, like something Magic the Gathering, where you can play casually and have fun. But if you want to be a master and professional, it's there. The depth is there for you. There is the caveat for that game, at least for myself, where playing it to like the 90th percentile is really cool. When you're really good at the game and are just doing things based on your own intuition and what you know and what you remember and making decisions that way, to play that game optimally to use that word it can involve just hours of looking at spreadsheets and things like that which i don't think is enjoyable Mm -hmm. but if you bar yourself from doing that trying to piece together things at like the higher difficulties is a ton of fun and the game is incredible runs feel different and while each character has something that's like the most powerful they can do that's not always open to you So you have to adapt, you have to do different things, depending on what an act looks like, because you get a map at the start, you actually change your decisions based on that. Because if you're playing one of the classes that has a really weak time into one of the specific elites and you're pathing into multiple elite fights, you have to pick different cards than you would, because there's cards that are better like right away, there's cards that scale better, and so it just leads to really interesting gameplay where... It feels like there's always something to interpret and something to correctly assess and make the right decision. And that decision isn't just cookie cutter. Yeah. And I also feel like this is the pinnacle of where somebody did one of the best things that I think this genre does. And it's choice. The fact that they give you a pool of things to pick from when it comes to deck building is, I think, amazing, innovative design that even things like Hades later on picks up on giving your players choice in these kinds of games to let them make their build is pivotal I think to me on my enjoyment level of games same thing with like why I own like nine or ten deck building games in in paper right like I just have that many deck building games all have different mechanics because I love choice like that when you have like a drafting mechanic in a game where like, okay, I have three things here. Which one am I going to pick? And Slay the Spire even lets you sacrifice choices for strong relics. There are relics that just like take away some of your card options. And it just makes everything matter a lot more. Every individual piece matters. There's cards that care about how much of a certain type of card you have in your deck. Like it's just a really, really good game design. 
Yeah, and I think the reason that Slay the Spire has held, at least in my eyes, the top spot in this card building kind of subtype of roguelites is because it's so extremely diverse in how you play it. Because each class is played an infinite number of different ways. Whereas, I don't know how many of the other Slay the Spire like clones, for lack of a better word, you've played. A lot of them feel solvable. Where there's one strategy that works and you go for it every time. And there's very few that wind up meaningful to the point where you're playing them over Slay the Spire. Whereas... I've put in almost 240 hours of Slay the Spire and still just keep coming back to it because it feels so different every time. Yeah, it's it's the same thing that a lot of deck building games have issues with in general is there are solvable strats like uh, the Marvel Legendary game. It's a uh, it's a card game. It's a deck building game, a lot like something like Slay the Spire is. This is the paper version. There are two characters together that basically mean you win. Like, they're just broken, and I found that out a long time ago. And it kind of makes that game a little bit worse, but with Slay the Spire, there's nothing like that, and there's a lot of authentic choice in that game. And you have to adapt to situations, which is a big thing. Adaptability is huge, which still, I think, is something that some roguelites still haven't, like, caught on yet. That making your players adapt and not just do the same thing every single time is really good something even risk of rain that we've been playing has done a little bit which we'll get into later is that you actually have to dynamically choose what you're doing and it gives you lots of replay value yeah and have you played many of the other roguelite card games did you have any that you wanted to talk about there's none in particular because any of them that i have played i just bounced off of or have watched people play them and i'm like wow this isn't slay the spire in a bad way not in a good way. You know what I mean? What about you? Um, I have I have two that I want to talk about. The first one is Monster Train. Monster Train came out, I think it was the start of last year. It entered early access. Game is really interesting because it's a pretty unique blend of what feels like a roguelite deck builder, mm-hmm. as well as kind of tower defense, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So... You, in each level, you have three, basically, floors of your train. And you get to put units on each of these floors. And then you can buff up the units with your spells and stuff like that. So your units actually take the spot of cards in your deck that get removed from your deck for that level or that fight once you play them. Okay. So it leads to actually a lot of really interesting systems where you have units and you get to build your deck around having a board layout Mm -hmm. in a way where you don't want to pick up extra units. A lot of the times, if you have a situation where you want to, you might want to stack one floor, for example, once you hit the point where you don't have more units that you want on that stacked floor, picking up additional units isn't worth very much. And things like that, which winds up just being very interesting. And then the game, the way that it functions is there's basically in between each fight, you can pick either the left or the right path, and it'll have between one and four things that you can do. So it's where you get this choice of you have to weigh of, do I want to take a card out of my deck? Do I want a new minion choice? Do I want a card choice from this class? And the upgrade mechanic in the game is one of my favorite things I've seen in a game like this. Each card 
has bystander two sockets that you can put runes into. So there's a merchant that will upgrade minions and there's a merchant that will upgrade spells. And so, for example, you have a spells upgrade that says this spell gets plus 10 magic power. Or this spell costs one less to cast. Or this spell gains holdover, which means when you cast it, it goes to the top of your deck. And it means that you can build really unique runs because you can customize what your cards do. Versus just an upgrade mechanic, which is what you see the most commonly. Yeah. So even if you have a deck that's the exact same, it can play completely differently based on what upgrades are socketed into your cards, which is just really interesting. Uh, That sounds really good. Yeah, I really enjoy it. It only has the issue of there are a couple of class combinations because you play basically multicolor in this game. There are a couple of class combinations that feel like they always want to do the same thing. Yeah, which is which is the issue like with a lot of these rogue games. There's a lot of pigeonholing like that. And like some of the ones that aren't designed as well with balance that like, yes, you should just be doing this and it's just factual. Yeah. And then the only other card game roguelite on my list is Ratropolis. Mm. And that's because I just find this game really interesting in concept because this game is a real time card game. So it's not turn based. But you draft cards and add them to your deck, and it has some base building elements, so you have to position buildings in various locations. And you're basically drawing a new hand is on a cooldown that you can pay to accelerate. So if you run out of things to do and have extra money, you can pay money to redraw your hand. And just the mechanics of a real-time card game are just very unique and very interesting to me, and leads towards for someone who's played a lot of card games, a game where I have a difficult time figuring out and assessing the power level of different things. Yeah. That's what I want to look into. You've shown me this one before, but I have not played it yet, but it looks interesting because it kind of gives me that kind of vibe that I get from a lot of real time strategy games like this while also being a rogue game, which is kind of cool. And you know, I just, I love card games. So that's what I, really want to look into so what so what do you think next you want to do like past the card game level you know yeah Mm. so card games are their own genre it's kind of a really big one Mm -hmm. i think there's an interesting thing going on with roguelites where there's been a couple games that have tried to basically break the mold where they for a lot of things follow the traditional formula for roguelites but then do something extra on top of them that i think really breaks them apart and the biggest example i can think of for that is moonlighter yeah which i love these games yeah i think moonlighter is absolutely incredible Mm. it's a very traditional roguelite where you have a dungeon that you can go into and you can you, you have to go through multiple floors there's a boss at the end And as you go through, you pick up items. And at every point in the dungeon, you have the option to leave. And in the portion of the game outside of the dungeon, you walk around, buy your items, buy your upgrades. You can buy potions, all this different stuff. And you run a shop. So all the items you loot in the dungeon, you go back and you have to sell at your shop to make money. And 
You have to control the market. You have to figure out what items are worth. The game doesn't tell you. And then as you sell items, if you sell too much of an item, the market value goes down and people won't pay as much for the item. Or if you don't sell it for a really long time, the market value will go up and you can then sell it for more. And it's really interesting to have these two things in contrast because it makes the roguelite portion more interesting because you have to think about how do these items interact with my shop? And that affects how you can play the roguelite in a lot of situations. Yeah, and that mechanic makes this game feel really unique. I really like that. that it has the two-dimensional thing to where, like, there's this going on plus the dungeons, which I think is something that we'll see a lot of later roguelites that I really like actually do this a little bit more. Like, like Hades has a big section outside the game, right? I, I really want to play this more. I've only put like maybe like a dozen hours into it, but I really want to get through Moonlighter all the way and like 100% of that game and do a completionist run because it's really interesting. And a lot of these games that have hooks to them to where it's not just the same thing over and over again is nice. Like even like a lot of like the like lesser done rogue games have that issue of repetition that gets old to me and i think moonlighter due to the fact that it has two mechanics going on at once it's a lot more micromanaging it makes the game a lot more fluent to play and you know engages me a bit more where yeah and i think with something like moonlighter the combat in the game doesn't hold up to other roguelites no but it does build itself up using other things it's that's Moonlighter is like one of those games where I want Moonlighter 2 really bad. Like, you know, there's a, you know, there's a lot of games like that where you're just like, wow, I really want the second one. You know, like there's even like, yeah. like Medium we discussed recently. I feel like that game with lessons learned could be good on a, like a new level, but it's, it needs, it needs to learn. Right. And Moonlighter uh, is a good game that needs lessons learned too. But obviously, Medium needs to learn a lot more lessons. <laughs> uh, what about Shadow of the Colossus? Shadow of the Colossus is just a bad studio making another game that needed more love and attention, and they should learn to finish games like every other game they've released ever. <clears throat> anyway, so in this in this very unique type of roguelite where it's still like traditional gameplay, but has some unique mechanics to it. I feel like Spelunky can fit into this category. And I know you have some strong opinions on this game. So uh, take it away here. Okay. So my thing with Spelunky is, is the game's really hard to a fault at the beginning. And the entry level to like learning this game is a little tough for me. And the big problem is, is that it's just a platformer at the end of the day with some extra mechanics in it. And I think there's just better platformers. So it's like not my thing. I understand people love this game. I'm not saying it's intrinsically bad. It's just like, you know, I don't want this in my life. And like, I'm allowed to not like things. Basically, this is what this game is. It's like, if I want to play like a platformer like this, I'm just going to go play Mario because I think it's just better. And I think I played Rogue Legacy before Spelunky. And when it comes to more platformy type roguelike games, I actually prefer Rogue Legacy over Spelunky. 
But that's also just because every single time I hear the name Spelunky, my ears bleed a little because I actually really hate that name. But that's just me being an idiot. So, like, it's fine. <laughs> so what do you like about Spelunky? Convince me that I should revisit Spelunky. I actually, I haven't played a lot of Spelunky. Oh. I think Spelunky is a very good game. I think it's very unique. Some of the mechanics that it's allowed to put in are very interesting. And you can do a lot of things that aren't initially apparent. Mm -hmm. So, like, you can steal from the shop, but then you have to fight the shopkeeper. Okay, I love that, actually. I've done that before. Uh, No, no, that's that's what I'm saying. I think think it's awesome. (laughs) I think stuff like that is really cool. And then there's... I think the big issue with Spelunky is I think there's... Something like Isaac. Isaac has a lot going on. Mm. But Isaac trickles the stuff going on to you. So your first run, you can't get a devil deal. Devil and angel deals are massively important when you finish the game. But they aren't at the start of the game. And they progressively unlock. And I think Spelunky didn't do that. And it had an issue. I think it caused an information overload for a lot of players and is a reason that I think a lot of people bounced off that game. I don't know about Spelunky 2. Spelunky 2 may have something different on this. I know virtually nothing about that game. So, But it just has this interesting situation where it feels like there's so many moving parts that aren't explained to you. Yeah, like, okay. Spelunky is the Dark Souls... Of platformer roguelike games. It doesn't tell you things. You have to figure it out. It's really hard, but probably really rewarding when you get into it. But I'm not going to spend my time getting into it. Sure. I think you overestimate how hard this game is, but that's my opinion. Okay. Now, to be fair, this is prior to me cleaning up my act, you know, playing Spelunky. So, like, I might like it more now. Because it's been Maybe. like nine years. That's that's what it is, right? From like me being 19 to 21, 22-ish. Everything that I did in there, I probably have a shitty opinion on. So maybe I should play this some more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So next on, ne- next for me at least, mm. I have what I view as the two strategy roguelites strategy and i don't think you've really played either of these which boggles my mind because i think you'd love both of them and the fact that you (laughs) haven't played them really disappoints me okay i own crypt of the necrodancer i'll admit it i own it i've never played it it's like in my playstation library so sure but i mean (laughs) like that's a totally different thing but these two strategy roguelites you just like Never touched either of these, and these are both right up your alley. Oh, let me see if I can tilt you. I want to see if I can tilt you. Start off I with Into the Breach. I know you own Darkest Dungeon. No, no, I know no. you own it. No, no, no. Okay, 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 okay. We'll go with Darkest Dungeon second. Let's uh, let's start with Into the Breach, because I feel like sure. this might be the biggest defender. So, it 100% is the biggest defender. So, Mr. Tactics, turn-based RPG bullshit over here, who rants and raves about this genre, has never touched the roguelite. Into the Breach is a turn-based R- turn-based strategy game roguelite where you control a whole bunch of machine like robots and have to stop this alien invasion that's destroying your world. Yeah. And the game's 
a ton of fun. It has a couple really unique mechanics to it. You have to take over planets and you get uh, each planet has a map mm. and it basically tells you what your reward is going to be for each level. And then you have super modular upgrades and it, you can drop some upgrades in some cases for your units that you don't get other times. And then there's a whole bunch of different squads to work with. Game is super interesting. And Mr. I love this genre has never touched it. Well, you see, here's the problem. Uh, I'm just fucking lazy. <laughs> Like <laughs> <laughs> that's the biggest problem. It's like I know I would like this game. Like, and okay, okay, okay. Here we're gonna do. Here we're gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look this game up and buy it right now and just like <laughs> <laughs> fix my life. Okay, like it does look good. Like I have no excuse for not playing this. And like as I like sit here and see if I can get it on here, it's just yes. Obviously, I should play this game. And I've heard I've heard a lot about it. I've heard it's really good. And I, I should, right? Like one of the old podcasts that I really liked listening to about general games who like just died out, unfortunately, mentioned this game a lot. And I, I got no excuses, man. Like this, this sounds great. Now, I have played Darkest Dungeon, though, to be fair. That's at least a little so better. Before we before we get into Darkest Dungeon, and I blame you for this one, too. Okay. Uh, Into the Breach is also from the developers of Faster Than Light. Which is one of the best roguelites. Again, kind I've of in this strategy it. genre. I've never played FTL. Again, kind of in this <laughs> strategy genre. But it's, it's again, one of the really top roguelites. It's not one that I've spent a ton of time on. But there's a lot of people that really love this game. And it's from the same developer. This, The people who made Into the Breach even have a good track record. So what you're saying is, is that I need to go buy this game. And actually, like, play it? Probably. Considering anyway, the fact so that you, Sure, you've played Darkest Dungeon. A little bit. Go ahead. <laughs> what, what, have you, what, what do you know about this game? Um. Well, see, I played, like, the first, like, little section, like, a teeny bit. <laughs> okay, so I really like the, the aesthetic of this game a lot. I really like the... Oh, yeah? Yeah, like I like how dark it is, to be honest. Like it just it's gothic. It's very heavily gothic, and I really like that. I like the fact that your people can literally go insane from the the stuff that they're seeing. Here's the problem with this game. Okay. I bought it on Vita. Okay. That's a problem. So now here's the part where I'm gonna dumpster on PlayStation Vita. And I, I grabbed mine out because it's literally at my desk at all times. Okay. So here's the issue with this thing. We've talked about this before. For those of you that aren't going to see this in person, the back touchpad is L2 R2 on the Vita, which are used in Darkest Dungeon if you're playing on a PlayStation console, and it's awful to control. I bounced off of Darkest Dungeon because I'm not playing it right. I need to go buy okay, so it. Okay, so buy a... it on PC and fix your life. I, I will have to because to see the problem is is that I did this thing here that I bought all these Final Fantasy games like this is all just Final Fantasy games it's a little shiny but this is just all Final Fantasy because they play okay on here because they're turn based and Darkest Dungeon I thought would be the same way but because the fact that they use the back triggers makes the game feel awful on Vita so sure. I I promise okay. Okay. I will play so, either Into the Breach or Darkest Dungeon on a proper a proper console or PC 
before the next podcast episode and have something to say. If I don't do that, then I'll, I'll you know what? I'll, I'll buy you a pizza. I'll buy you a pizza. Whatever you want. Nice Pepsi. Hell yeah. <laughs> so for Darkest Dungeon, to actually get into this game a little bit. Yeah. It is a very dark, hence the name, uh, game based in, I guess it's sort of like a medieval setting. Where you're encountering a ton of, like, undead and things like that. And one of the big mechanics of the game is you have effectively two health bars on each character. So you put your squad together, and then characters can take damage. So they have an HP, and they can take damage. And if they fall to zero, they get they go to what's called Death's Door. And then if they get hit when they're at Death's Door, they die. Mm-hmm. They have a second health bar, effectively, for stress. And if you hit 100 stress, a character has a basically a check for whether they're virtuous or I forget what the second option is. But basically, they get either a positive or a negative trait. And there are aspects and items that you can give to characters to influence to get the positive trait more often. And these traits get added to their character sheet when you hit 100 stress. And then if they fail the check, they then have, if they get up to 100 or 200 stress after failing the check, they die on the spot. Mm. And the game, this makes the game feel extremely unique. And you have, you have to use your money that you make through your quests in town to manage characters' stress by putting them into various different stress activities. And they can get traits that prevent them from using some of the activities So you can get like a trait, um, like one of the traits is known cheat, which prevents them from gambling while in town. So that character can't use one of the options for stress relief. Mm. Or you can get a character like uh, God-fearing, which means they'll only pray for stress release. They won't do any of the other activities. They can only do this one. So it limits how you can deal with this on specific characters. And then outside of your runs, you have this town where all of the buildings have different upgrades. So there's like a guild where you can trade your units and an armory and a stagecoach where you can hire new people and all these different things. And all of these buildings have upgrades to them. And it just game. I only started playing this game probably about a month ago and it like totally blew my mind. It just, it's so enthralling. The entire atmosphere of the game is incredible And the mechanics of the town are just so interesting that I found myself just wanting to keep playing. Yeah. So I think this game definitely is going to capture me once I I play it properly. Um, I would suggest Darkest Dungeon to anyone who likes Arkham Horror or anything based around um, like like Cthulhu type mythology stuff, because like the idea of your your character's mental health being as important as their physical health is a, yeah, like you said, it's a big part of that game. And if you're really into that kind of stuff, it's perfect. Like any of that Lovecraftian type love, like I think this game will nail it. And I have a very slight issue with calling this game a roguelite. I think it a hundred percent is one, but it's very long term, which is very untraditional for this type of game. Mm. And I view Darkest Dungeon very similar to XCOM when you play it on the Iron Man mode, because XCOM very much relies on managing your roster and building up a team and managing all these different things. 
And it becomes very much more like a grand strategy game in a way versus just your traditional roguelike. Yeah. And which is really cool. Mm hmm. And if we were playing like Felseal on Permadeath, that would be more like a roguelike for you because you'd have to restart right away. But like something like Darkest Dungeon lasts a lot longer, right? Right? <laughs> now, now, to be fair, to be fair, when we played XCOM, I only lasted a long time on some of the Permadeath modes because I got into an area that let you die and not reset, which I don't get. Because I think it was it was like the DLC map, right? And it let me keep restarting it because it was a unique area, which I thought was weird. But I mean, honestly, if we're going back and playing XCOM again, we're axing the DLC and playing on Long War because the game's just better. Okay, in let's go. So what game's do you, actually just better? So what do you want to cover so, next? This is where it kind of gets weird because mm. I feel like we have a couple of games that we want to talk about that are just extremely unique. They don't really, you can't match these games with any anything else. Um, and so maybe maybe the first one we'll talk about is the newest one on this list, One Step from Eden. This game is very recent. Mm -hmm. And it is a roguelite that's part tile-based combat, part deck builder, and is extremely fast-paced. And honestly, one of the most unique and most interesting experiences I've had in a game. And now, before you get into this, because I haven't played this game, but I've looked it up now. PSA, if you're old and played on a Game Boy Advance and ever played Mega Man Battle Network, this game looks like somebody took Mega Man Battle Network and made it better, which is a big endorsement because I think Mega Man Battle Network might be one of the best Game Boy Advance games of all time. Now... To you, sir, explain this away while I go grab something to drink because my mouth is dry. So one step for Eden is, as I said, it's a deck builder. So you actually you start with a deck of spells and you have two active slots and mana, which is really weird because it's it's a real time game on this grid. And as your mana just regens over time. So you when you use one of your active slots, one of your active spells, the next card in your deck goes into that slot and basically becomes available to use. And you have a you have a special way to shuffle your deck to basically recycle all your cards back into it. And so there's spells that add spells to your deck and there's other things to do and it just winds up being very interesting because it's you have to manage a deck in a game that I think is one of the fastest paced games on this list, which is crazy hard to do at least from my perspective i find myself losing track of the deck and stuff like that all the time in this game and so it becomes a deck builder where you have to build synergies through cards but then also becomes a hey look you have to just be really good at your movement in this game to not just take a shitload of damage and it becomes a very interesting mesh of two things that i think it's I, from what I've played so far, I think it might be the hardest game on this list. And I don't think it's overly close. And I love it. And it makes it's a game that makes you want to be good at it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, this game looks fantastic. And I'm like 100% into play this once I finish a couple things on my my current list of stuff I'm trying to get through. Because this looks amazing. The art style looks really nice. The mechanics sound crazy. And it just reminds me of one of my favorite games of all time, 
that like honestly i probably should have had on one of my top 10 lists as like an honorable mention before because i just i forgot about battle network i saw this i got flashbacks to my childhood this looks really sweet the one thing I will say about this game, oh, no. and don't, this is no, something that continually don't, comes don't up. Don't break my heart. Don't break my heart. Why does this game only have local multiplayer? Um, spoiler alert, future podcast episode. Why don't game developers want us to play with each other unless you have microtransactions? And uh. I just... I'm not a game developer. Mm-mm. I don't know how much it costs to code online multiplayer versus local multiplayer. Even if you give me where I have to actually port forward my information to you to set it up, I don't care. I don't care how this gets set up, but stop releasing games without online multiplayer, especially right now where most places aren't allowed to you aren't allowed to go out where mm. because of COVID, a lot of stuff is locked down. And I, I mean, just at, on this topic, one step from Eden does it. Pikmin two or Pikmin three, the remake, mm. they updated that game to have multiplayer for the campaign. And it's only local. The 3d world, which came out yesterday, the 3d world remake, which came out yesterday has online multiplayer, but they didn't give it online multiplayer for the expansion that they did for it. You have local multiplayer on the expansion, but you can't play it online. Yeah. It's just like... There are so many games that I want to co-op or want to play with people. And let's be honest, Nintendo's the big offender here. Mm -hmm. Nintendo is the big Mm -hmm. offender. But just let me play it online with people. And I know... And I don't, maybe I'm in the small minority of this. There are a lot of games that I would own a copy of right now if I could play it online with people. Yeah. And because I can't, I don't. And I imagine that there is a number of other people that are in that position. So I like to think that it is beneficial to the company to spend the time developing it. Yeah. It's one of those things, too. A lot of these like smaller indie games that lack online multiplayer or even the bigger ones, I would... I would pay extra to get online multiplayer because even despite COVID, why can't we play your games online? Because we want to buy your game, but believe it or not, not all of us are like loners. Like even like quote unquote loner people play games with other people, no matter what they say. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we have Mm -hmm. friends that don't like going places with, people very often but we'll play online games let us play your games online so we can support you more please anywho yeah so (laughs) we'll 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 leave we'll we'll leave the the one that kind of has taken over our last week and a half for last to talk about after this one i want to talk about crypt of the necro dancer crypt of the necro dancer so i have not played this game this game This developer, actually, I found this game because this developer had something really interesting happen that almost never happens, where they were given permission to use the Nintendo IP of Legend of Zelda in a game. Really? This almost never happens, for the record. The only other example I can think of is 
uh, Hyrule Warriors because mm-hmm. Hyrule Warriors is developed by a non Nintendo studio. Yeah. Um, but they were given permission for Cadence of Hyrule. Blanked on the name for a second there. Cadence of Hyrule was developed by the same studio, and it's basically identical gameplay to Crypt of the Necrodancer, but not a roguelite and based in Legend of Zelda. Hmm. But Crypt of the Necrodancer is a tile-based roguelite dungeon crawler where the entire premise of the game is you have to move on the beat and attack on the beat. Which winds up being one of the most unique and interesting experiences in a game because it's so completely different to everything else that you can do. And I know Josh talked a little bit about it last week with bullets per minute, but it just leads to something extremely unique and a totally different experience that I can say I don't think I've had with a different game. As someone who loved things like Rock Band and Guitar Hero and other rhythm games my whole life, being able to have a game that is a rhythm game while not being one is very cool. Because it's a rhythm game that isn't just purely based on music. There's actually some additional stuff to it, which is really, really interesting to me. And it has all your traditional roguelite mechanics in it. So it has you get items and you have some out of uh, out of out of run upgrades to get and things like that. And it just winds up being super interesting, winds up being a ton of fun and is a very unique experience. And I haven't played Cadence of Hyrule, but I assume that game captures all the same things that Crypt of the Necrodancer does. And also games like Stupid Cheap. Games like five bucks or something. Yeah, that's really cool. So obviously I stepped away for a minute, but I could hear everything you were saying. It's just like the game down does sound really, really cool. As kind of like one mm-hmm. of these unique games. Like I know Bolts Per Minute and Patapon are games that are based on rhythm like this. I like the rhythm mechanic of games like this because it gets you into them. You know, like, it requires your full attention, which is really nice. Same thing, too, with, like, something like Hellblade, while not rhythm-based, the way that audio works in that game gets you into it. And this game does look really unique. It looks really cool. Obviously, I don't have, like, a ton of input on this because I haven't played it yet, but it looks really sweet. Yeah. So, let's jump to the one that we've kind of been spending our time with. Mm Mm-hmm. Risk of Rain 2. Hell yeah. So, we've never played Risk of Rain 1, so we have nothing to say about that. Don't don't care. Risk of Rain 2 has been a blast. So, it's kind of like one of those, like, what, what would you call the, the genre of this game? Outside of the rogue element of it. Like a, like a faraway camera. kind of a... Th- Third-person shooter? Third-person SAPS? Kind of? Third-person shooter? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a third-person shooter. It's pretty cartoony in its nature. But the cool mechanic of it is that it basically has a lot of almost Fortnite-ish, like, kind of style of where box placement is. Like, you earn money through killing enemies, and there's boxes on the map that you pick up. And you kind of, like, build up a 
you know, group of artifacts on your character that give you different powers and abilities as you go. And I think the big thing about this is like you have all these unique pickups that you get that like give your character a chance for a bleed effect or a shield or kind of a heal based on damage they've dealt or where you're standing still. The 3D printers in this game are awesome. So in this game, you can trade in something of a rarity for a uh, copy of something of a similar rarity. So like say there's a 3D printer that like has something that has a bleed effect on hit. You can go in there and trade in your common items for just more copies of that. So it lets you take your trash and turn it into treasure, essentially, which is awesome because it allows for really unique builds. But the thing is, you never know what 3D printers you're going to get on a run. So you need to adapt. And I think that's something that we've ran into recently is that I'm really bad at adapting this game and need to like learn to adapt more to what's going on. But it lets you build tanks like tank builds, DPS builds, healing builds, supportive builds. And it actually supports multiplayer online really smooth too. Like at launch, I know that was a big thing a lot of reviewers said is the multiplayer didn't work. That's not a thing anymore. The multiplayer is seamless. We've had zero crashes. We've had no disconnects. We've had nothing like that. It's just worked smooth. I think this game kind of pushes us in a direction where I really want this genre to go, where it is a multiplayer roguelike game that is beneficial to have somebody else with you in a way if that makes sense yeah and roguelite multiplayer is kind of a like soft topic in a lot of situations because mm. the first game i know of that did it was isaac and isaac's multiplayer sucks isaac's multiplayer is actually a detriment it is harder with two people yes and it's not fun no it's not Whereas I think Gungeon has a little bit of a multiplayer offering, which I, to my understanding is a lot better, but Risk of Rains feels seamless. Yeah. it's It feels absolutely incredible. And I think it leads to a lot of interesting things where we found that there's some items that are better on some characters. Yeah. So there's situations where you want to give an item to your teammate, which is really cool. And I think the thing that intrigues me the most about this game at this point is I think this game has the items with the least impact of any game on this list. It's true. Where rather than rather than the game being about one big item, it becomes about the combination of things. And we'll talk about this a little more with the two that we have left to talk about after this. But when you look back at something like Isaac, like I said, you get Mom's Knife and that defines the rest of your run. You get Brimstone and that defines the rest of your run. Whereas... This game, you get one bleed effect, and it's a moderate upgrade, but it doesn't define anything about it. Mm. And it becomes a lot more about stacking effects on top of each other and having multiple effects that interact with each other, which is really interesting because you'd think that would lead to being less concerned about synergy, but it winds up being more concerned about synergy. And the big thing we found, too, is character classes, which you only start with one, but there's like at least like what, like eight Something like that. We 14, have, I think. Yeah, we haven't we haven't locked it, unlocked all of them yet. And we've been playing like quite a bit, which is awesome. It actually takes time to progress. But like there's certain characters that just do different things better. Like there's a robot like character in there that stacks on hit effects crazy fast. They have low damage per hit, but their amount of uh, hits per second is really high. Like they just have crazy high attack speed. So if you get 
a lot of bleed effect on that character, you stack it super quick on bosses if you manage to get a few, and you can just, like, burst bosses down. While some of the characters, like the archer-style character, can attack while sprinting. So a lot of the items that say you get X while sprinting are insane on that character because they never have to stop sprinting. And that kind of mechanic's amazing. There are items that care about being close to people that are really bad on a lot of the high DPS ranged characters, but there's like, there's a tank in the game that as they attack, they get a small shield that those close range objects are raising on them because that's all the, they have to be close. So you have this kind of mechanic that when you have more people, you can be like, hey, this item's here, come pick it up. And then your buddy would be like, hey, this item's here. It's not good on me, but it's good on you. Why don't you grab it? And that's like a really unique experience that I think is missing from a lot of multiplayer games. We're like, hey, this person should get this. This person should get that. Which something like Warzone, I think if you're playing multiple people, you can do that where somebody prefers this type of weapon. And having that in a rogue game that's multiplayer, that's seamless, that's very affordable and has a ton of content is huge. I think Risk of Rain is one of those games that should be a pin, like, like, just be a pillar of the genre. If you're making a multiplayer rogue game, you should look at this game and learn from it. Unlike Anthem, where they weren't allowed to look at the games in their genre, you know, rogue games should look at this and be like, hey, if we want to make our multiplayer component better than this, you know, this is what they're doing. Let's innovate. So far, Risk of Rain 2 is the pinnacle of multiplayer roguelike games not even close yeah and i think risk of rain has so much incredible stuff about it and i think it is a pillar of the genre and i think that on this list the last two games that we have to talk about are the other two games that i think are going to be looked at as the pillars of this genre and what games are going to try to emulate because what they do is so good Mm -hmm. all right let's tackle dead cells first because I think we both have a lot to say on Hades, and you haven't played Dead Cells. No, Dead Cells is one of those games where I've heard a lot about it, and it sounds really good. I think it's on Game Pass now. It's either on Game Pass or I already own it because I have too many Pretty games. Pretty sure it's on Game Pass. So, can convince me, convince the audience, Dead Cells, sell me. So, Dead Cells is a platformer-type roguelike. So it's not like a top-down, like, Isaac or Gungeon. It's a platformer like Rogue Legacy or... I think like Rogue Legacy, if I understand yeah, yes, right. Yeah, yes, exactly. Like Rogue Legacy or Spelunky. Yeah. And it's actually interesting because this is another one of those games where the storyline is kind of just like this eerie, creepy thing that really, in at least for me, really intrigued me in the game. Mm-hmm. But... The game's concept is you have basically four slots. So you have an attack, you have an attack, a special, and then two equipments. Or like you have two weapons and then two equipments. And you get items over the course of a run. You also get scrolls that you can use to increase either your... I don't know what their terms are. I haven't played the game in so long. Your red, purple, or green stat, Mm -hmm. basically. And... Each of the stats, this is something that I find really cool, is they linearized health scaling. So your first point in each stat is worth worth the same amount of HP. Okay. Your second point is worth the same amount of HP. 
your third point is worth the same amount of HP. So HP has a diminishing return in this game, where your first point is more, your second point is less, your third point is less. And each stat has its own pro progression. So even if you've put 10 points into your green tree, your next, your first red tree point will still give you that same amount of first level HP. Interesting. And then each weapon either can be solely one type. So you can have weapons mm -hmm. that are just red. So they scale off your red damage. Or you can have weapons that are red green. So they scale off whichever is higher. And mm. it leads towards really interesting mechanics. And in this game, each weapon and each piece of equipment feels like it plays a meaningful role in how you play the game. The game plays very differently. And it's one of those games that I think the reason that this game is going to be looked at for quite a while is it rewards you so much for knowing how to play. And this is something we talked about this a little bit with Isaac and Gungeon. This is a game that I don't think has unlosable runs. Yeah. If you if you aren't playing well, you can still die regardless of how good your items are. Which is an important And that's mechanic. something that that's something that new roguelites are becoming way better at. Because if you go back to something like Isaac, I would say that like 10% of runs are just unlosable. Mm-hmm. I might be pushing it a little bit, but somewhere in that range are just unlosable. If you like have a moderate level of skill and you can like really play like shit and still win. them. Now, you know, what's even funny too. even in the contrast of that, there are runs in Isaac and other lesser made roguelikes that feel unwinnable. If that makes sense. I mean, the unwinnable runs in Isaac, you can you can achieve an 100 percent win rate in Isaac. There's runs that are unenjoyable, yeah. but every run is winnable in that game. But there's just, there's runs that are unlosable. And I don't think that those exist in any of these last three games. I don't think huge. it exists in Risk of Rains. I don't think it exists in Dead Cells. And I don't think it exists in Hades, which is really incredible and leads towards the game on a whole being a lot more fun because in Isaac, when you when you find your first god run, it's fun. Mm. And it's like so crazy to see what you do. But for the longevity of the game, those runs aren't interesting. No, they're not. I was a uh, uh one of like a Slay the Spire. Slay the Spire very recently had a buff change to Silent. Mm. Where Silent, uh one of the Silent cards went from dealing basically for lack of a just to simplify it, went from dealing Unupgraded 8 damage and then upgraded 12 damage to dealing unupgraded 12 damage and upgraded 16 damage. Okay. And the class is unequivocally stronger. But it's uninteresting because this card, this common, now just defines the class. And there's been a couple people who play this game and are big members of the community being like, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. Where I used to really enjoy this class, I don't like it as much anymore now because it's less interesting. And that's what happens when you have unlosable runs. And I don't think Dead Cells has that. Which is, yeah, that's really big. Like like, like we've talked about before a few times with this these rogue genres is that, and deck builders too, it's just like you have these moments where you're like, this is the correct thing to do. 
and that isn't good game design. When there's a, a when you like you make a tree with all these different ways you can go, but you should just go straight up. Like, why are these branches here if you should just go straight up? And having a game that is like, hey, you can't just keep doing this. You need to branch out and do other things. Makes the game way more interesting when there's a strictly correct option in a game. It makes things worse. Like you need conditional upgrades, items, cards, whatever your game is using. Yeah. And then to wrap it out, this has to just be the best game in this genre. And I think it's going to hold that title for quite a while. Hades is so good. Hades is the best one at the action version of the rogue genre. Hades is the big one. Like when it comes to games where you're actively controlling a character, it's not turn-based or anything. Hades just takes it and it's not close. And it's, it's not close. It's absolutely insane. And this game, I think, or at least I hope, will push roguelites to develop the other areas of their games more. Mm -hmm. Because this game is just, like, so interesting and has a whole bunch of flavor and extra stuff. Like, exploring the, like, the House of Hades is just so interesting. And the way that the mirror upgrades function is really cool. And the heat system is one of my favorite things I've ever seen in any video game. Yeah, this is, like... Like, before we get too deep in the Hades, if you look at this this list we have, what we've talked about, we talked about Isaac, you know, the story's there, right? Like, there's a thing. Rogue Legacy, sort of. Enter the Gungeon, kinda. Monster Train, eh, you know, I don't know much about that story. Slay the Spire, sure, the heart's like, whatever. Retropolis, you know, it's just like, it's there, right? You know, Into the Breach, Darkest Dungeon, Moonlight, Spelunky, they all have like these minor stories, right? It's just like they they want to have a background. Hades actively has an active story that is really, really good and doesn't treat its story like it's a roguelike. It treats its story like you're playing a story in the game, something like, you know, Horizon or God of War does or Hollow Knight, where it's just like these games have a really good story to them, period. Not for its genre, Period. Hades has a really good story to it where if it wasn't a roguelike and you just played through this game Hades as his character, the game would still be incredible with its story and its atmosphere. It just happens to be a roguelike. I think one of the most insane things about Hades is the fact that the story feels like it has an impact on runs. Mm -hmm. Where you'll get Hades taunting you in the middle of the run. And what he says is a little bit different depending on how far into the game you are. Mm. And as you befriend characters, someone uh, like some of the characters start showing up more in your runs and they you get like little quips with people and you have like the whole dichotomy with um, or the whole situation with. Uh, shit, I'm blanking on her name, the girl in Ashfidel and then the uh, musician in the House of Hades. And these are like. These people were married when they were alive and you go back and forth and basically relay messages between them. Yeah. When like when your RNG happens to get you into her into her room, you get your buff from it. But you can also talk to her and advance their independent storyline, which is so cool. 
and even too, like, I have not 100% this game. I haven't really escaped yet. I've just, like, been enjoying, like, slowly playing it. Like, Meg, one of the big characters, you know, teeny spoiler. And she's, like, not in my game anymore when I go through my runs. Like, someone's replaced her. And, like, stuff like that is, like, I want to know what's going on. And the fact that, like, each run, like you, like you were saying, is story. Like, what are the roguelike so, like, has story progression in each individual run? Like, it's crazy. I've got I've got a little spoiler for you, Josh. Hit me. The story doesn't end when you escape. Oh, I I, I know. I've heard. You escaping is part of the story. Which is incredible. Like, oh, and it everything about this game is just incredible. And I really hope that as new new companies and people try to redevelop roguelites. I really hope they look at a lot of things that were done by Hades. Mm. The boon system is incredible. The fact that like duo boons and legendary boons are so cool mm. and they're fairly low effects. It doesn't feel like there's anything that wins the game outright. It doesn't feel like anything's just like unplayably bad. Everything about this game is incredible. And I hope that more games look to this and be like, this is what we should try to be because this game is so incredible. This game deserved game of the year last year. It did. It did. I think, I think just on innovation and importance to video games as a whole, Hades deserved it. I think last of us two empirically as a game and how it looked and everything mattered like yes that game is gorgeous i understand that game was a culmination of a very beloved game from ps3 hades took a genre that is on the fringes and pushed it forward like it's huge like it's probably one of the most important games ever made in the last 10 years like it's it's gigantic i, I, I imagine that hades will reform this entire genre Mm. And the genre will look completely different going forward. Yeah. We won't see it for a couple years because games that were already majorly developed when it came out won't be impacted. Mm -hmm. But anything that started developing after Hades was released will be changed in the roguelite genre. Mm. And, there and I think there's there's even some things that will affect that will see affect the next like through the breach style game. Yeah. I there's a mechanic in Hades that I really like that's also in Risk of Rain. And it's risk versus reward mechanics and in roguelikes i really like chaos in hades and the um i don't remember the call and risk of rain the thing where you can like lose health to get money and like chaos in hades where you can sacrifice your ability to use something or like hey if you use this kind of attack you take damage for this many runs but after that you get a bonus and i love that I love risk versus reward mechanics in these games because it gives you something to like get better at the game and make your run possibly more successful, but you're going to handicap yourself for a bit before you get reward. And I really like that. The moment I saw chaos in this game, I just like every single time it popped up, I'm in. I love it. Yeah, I think I think chaos is a massive upgrade to what you might have seen, like with devil deals in. Binding of Isaac mm -hmm. because Binding of Isaac, the devil deal items were so powerful that you just basically always took them. And the thing with chaos is you always go into there 
I feel like. I feel like I've never decided to not go to a chaos room. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you go into the chaos rooms, three see your three options, and you're like, shit. Because <laughs> you have to take one of them. Right? And that's incredible to me. And the fact that once you've made the decision to go into the room, you have to pick one is actually so cool. Yeah, if you could go in there and not pick something, it would make it worse. To mm -hmm. be honest. And like... The fact that the game makes you make decisions is really good. Yeah. And even even the way that keepsakes are done as one of your forms of out of combat upgrades, I love. I fact I love the fact that your keepsakes get stronger as you use one and that you can change them over the run. Mm-hmm. And so good. well, changing them over the run is empirically like very strong. Then there's a couple keepsakes that the game throws in there for you, and it's like these give you stacking buffs if you use them the whole time. Yeah, right. Like that's just that is so cool to me. One of the things too, just like about Hades and why I think it's one of the best games I've ever played. Now, like I've gotten into it a little bit more. I obviously still I still need to play it more. Like I haven't escaped yet. That's this is from somebody who has not like, quote unquote, finished a run yet. When you get the two gods where you pick a boon and the other one gets mad at you and attacks you, I think it's just like it's such good flavor in a game. It's amazing. It's such good like game design. Like Artemis, Artemis is my homie, and I'm just gonna like take whatever she can give me because Artemis is my homie. <laughs> yeah, there's. There's so much and all the the individual storylines with the the fates as well as your individual storylines with each of the like random characters that you can encounter in each zone. Just so, so interesting mm -hmm, for sure. And it seems like it seems like Supergiant wants to continue to update this game and continue to release new stuff, which I am so excited for. Like. Even though Supergiant has released games, which I know you love most of their games, and, like, not all of them click with me. All of them. I love all of them. It's just, like... Give me credit. Yeah, it's true. It's one of those things where, like, yes, not everything clicks with me. I'm very moody on my games. Like, extremely moody on my games. I still respect what they're doing, despite me not liking it. It's just, like... Like, that's my thing when it comes to, like, TV shows, games, movies, books, anything. I can respect an idea while not enjoying it personally. Hades, I both respect the idea and enjoy it personally, which they haven't caught me with yet. Hades is made by a studio that I like what they're doing, but it's not my thing. Hades caught me. This game's incredible. So, out of curiosity here, I think we've gone through a lot of this stuff. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with Hades? Um, I just want to say, like, Supergiant has been one of my favorite developers pretty much since I played Bastion in 2011. Mm -hmm. Like, if you had asked me in, like, 2015, I probably would have told you this is my favorite game developer when they literally had two games out. And I love that Hades hit the mark on everything and is giving them the recognition they deserve. Mm. Because this this developer deserves to be at the top of the indie developers. And I love that that seems to be happening in a way. Yeah. So going forward, then we've talked about these rogue games and we're really looking forward to seeing more roguelikes coming out. You know what the genre is going to do. Is there anything in particular that you're looking 
to see from a sequel from one of these games or in a new game? Like, is there anything that you want that you haven't seen yet or you want to see, like, innovated on? I mean, so Darkest Dungeon 2 is supposed to be coming out. Mm -hmm. Which, there's a lot of little things that I think you could innovate on in that game. But overall, the game is just pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's hard because I think for a lot of these games, I don't want to see a sequel is my hard thing with it. Yeah. Because a lot of these games feel kind of in place. I would love to see a Moonlighter sequel, I think is the one that stands out to me. Or maybe not a sequel, but the same concept redone. Mm. Just this, the having two distinctly different games almost in one is really cool. And I would like to see something like that continue to be explored. But it's just hard. I'd like to see a lot more games taking some things from Hades that are really good. And I'd like to leave behind some of the stuff from like Isaac and Gungeon as we go forward. But it's not that I want a sequel. Give me a new game. Give me a new IP. Tell me an entirely new story just as good as Hades. Okay. With your roguelite. I have a wish list game. Okay. This is this is going deep. Okay. I've had this thought during the week. I didn't share it with you until now on purpose. Okay. So okay. S- mini tangent. The Nemesis system from Shadow of War Mordor games got copyrighted. I want a game that has the Nemesis system in it that's a roguelike. I want like like an FPS style game or something that's really actually like Hades that has a Nemesis in it where you're going back in and nobody remembers you except your Nemesis and they're just like a random boss that can show up in places that like knows you and you're both stuck in some kind of loop almost like like groundhog style groundhog day style kind of like like something like death loop coming out where you're replaying this thing over and over again and you're the only two that remember what's going on but the other character just does not want to interact with you and just wants you dead because they think you dying gets them out of the loop and like you just keep going through it and they think that if they kill you enough times you like get out of it i think something like that where you just had this really heavy story focused game that is a true rogue game where you don't get upgrades between runs. You just have to get good enough to beat this person who keeps killing you and resetting your run. I think it would be sick where you just like person comes up, kills you, your run resets and like even have possibly the thing where you could get away from them. Like if you don't think you're good enough to beat them that you can run away until you figure out how you collect enough stuff in this run to kill them before they find you. You know what I mean? Like, you need to get strong enough mm-hmm. before they find you to kill them. I think something like that could be really, really sweet. Where you just have this that person like, awesome. <laughs> like, 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 just coming after you and you're like, how do I find a way to overcome this the limited amount of time I have before they find me? <laughs> something that would be sick. Now, now, what if they made it PvP? Oh! Oh! <laughs> that would be sick. That would be sick. <laughs> there's that would that would be so sweet. This is one of the things where there's a lot of room for game design, and I'm really hoping that we keep seeing innovation going forward because obviously things like Hades have shown us that there is work to be done, you know, and people are crushing it out there, and it's just like never 
never give in to the same old thing because if you want something different it's out there you need to find it and support these people that are doing it like with stuff like hades well do you have anything else to say on the great roguelike genre before we head out no i think that's pretty much it i think that i'm very excited to see what other developers do with what we've seen from games like hades and risk of rain 2 mm-hmm. very interested very very interested and you know i have some stuff to check out now from this list like i really want to try one step from eden that looks really really cool and retropolis might be something that i'd dip into a kind of as a casual game for fun right so well yeah. obviously we're gonna have a bunch of youtube stuff coming up now which i'm really excited about you can you know like and subscribe to us on your podcast services it makes a big deal for people to find the show you can follow us on twitter which we always try to post we always have new episodes going up every single tuesday until the day that we grow old and die and then maybe we're just in a big giant roguelike we'll respawn and we'll be able to do a new podcast together hopefully we can find each other on our next run through this life 